0: Howdy there. I'm Matt McKinley with the Burning Daylight Podcast. If you ever wanted to make a podcast, well, Spotify's got a platform that, makes, that lets you make one super easily. And then you can distribute it everywhere and even earn money. All in one place, for free. It's called Spotify for, for Podcasters, and here's how it works
1: Goodbye Colorado, goodbye Arizona Goodbye Nevada, goodbye New Mexico God bless the West and Texas, yes you know I'll miss you so But it's goodbye Colorado, boys I'm heading home
0: Howdy there, I'm Matt McKinley and we're burning daylight Good morning, everybody. It is uh, a nice, cool morning here in western Nevada. The sun's coming up over the horizon. Still a little bit of snow up on the Sierras. And uh, it is beautiful right now, but it looks like it's going to get hot today. Uh, Right around 95, so I guess if you're from Arizona or south Texas, that's not all that hot, but pretty warm for me. Anyway, I, uh, got some good feedback on the show yesterday. I'm glad y'all really liked it. Um, got, a uh, quite a few plays so far, and I'm really happy about that, so I want to say thank you guys. Uh, have got a, uh, a sponsor for the show, other than, the, the paid ad I read, but um, a uh, company that my cousin is, uh, in close contact with, uh, is gonna be swapping some merch for a plug on this here show, so, uh, shout out to, uh, don't be a gunsel, uh, which is a pretty good way to, uh, live your life, just don't be a gunsel, uh, There's enough stupid people in the world, and they breed the fastest, so... Uh, let's try not to be that. Anyway, it's, uh... It's gonna be a good day. I woke up this morning, and I, uh, was checking Twitter and Facebook to see, uh... See what kind of feedback was getting, and, uh, scrolling through Twitter. (laughs) And I... I saw my favorite Twitter personality, uh, President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Uh, you've really gotta stop thinking, or, uh, yeah, thinking about Trump as a president or a politician. It's, cause technically he's the president, but he's, he's not a politician. If you view him like you would view a comedian, your perspective changes completely and the man is hilarious he tweeted out just presidential uh presidential harassment in all caps so of course you gotta go you gotta click on his profile to see where he's coming from with that and of course it's about the the, the normal media bullshit they're trying to take him down but <laughs> presidential harassment I don't think it gets any better. I was feeding horses this morning. Got two at the house. I've got my good mare. Clara, she is a. She's 10 or 11. 11, I believe. Uh, I bought her from a fellow over in Setana, Kansas, here about. It must have been five years ago, I guess. And she is just a good bitch. That is a a cool horse. But she is big fat and pregnant right now. Uh, She's about a month and a half from, yeah, about a month and a half from dropping a colt. And uh, she is getting very rotund. Uh, I don't know if she could hide behind a mountain at this point. Lori darling, pretty as the morning. You excited, aren't you? Lori is my little yellow mare. She is five. And uh she's a pretty she was the one I was mentioning that I'm gonna finish as a bridle horse or attempt to. She's a little Palomino mare. Her mama was a paint, uh, paint mare, and then sired by a big quarter horse stud. And I thought she'd be bigger than she is, but she's she's built right, just smaller. and I am riding Red Molly today she also goes by Mustang Sally a dirty bitch several other names but she is a Mustang government freeze brand and all and uh, she is eight to ten ish i don't know for sure another one i picked up super cheap and she's really turned out to be pretty all right horse nothing special she's just a good enough using horse and she is for sale if anybody's interested As far as Mustangs go, you know, she's put together pretty decent. Uh, she's one you wouldn't ever trust her any farther than you can throw her, but uh, you can get along with her pretty good. She's just kind of kind of a watchy type horse. And uh, if you're not prepared for that, she can get away from you in a hurry. Oh, open your mouth. There you go. Well, this old mare, she, uh, got a lot of go to her. She's not particularly fast, but she will go. And go, and go, and go. She's kind of a mover, but. Yeah, you can always find some, some cheap horses and you can usually turn them into, oh, serviceable stick, you know, but. She, uh, she's not going to cow like a like my good mare, she's not going to be as fast as my other little mares, and, uh, but if I go get a job done, I can, I can probably get it done, and I didn't spend a whole lot of money on her, she's not got a particularly good demeanor to her, she's not super friendly, so, if she uh we get in a wreck and she gets crippled up, I'm not out a whole lot. And uh my little Maggie mare, she, she didn't pay very much for her, but if she got crippled up I'd be out a buddy more than, than I'd be out money and with this red Molly, she uh I wouldn't be out either either one really. Uh, she's not much of a buddy. And I didn't pay much for but I guess we'll get along alright I guess a little history about me is I uh, said yesterday I grew up in southeast Colorado very southeast corner of the state and uh, Oh my, my folks owned a little bit of land. They ran a few cows, mostly ran horses. My dad raised uh paint and quarter horse growing up and, and he had some pretty nice pretty nice stock. He had uh, several brood mares that went back to uh you know good foundation quarter horse lines, uh Leo and Poco Bueno and well uh, he had some running running blood in there too go man go I think was kind of a was a pretty predominant one in his his lineage and uh so I grew up helping helping my dad and his buddy and uh some friends of mine as well and that kind of community pretty well everybody farms and ranches and so you get to you get to go work for several different people. Moving cows, branding, you know, weaning shipping, all that. That typical stuff. Uh part of Colorado I was from. Uh, there's uh there's a little bit of, of government pasture, BLM, but not near like it is out here in Nevada, you know hell two-thirds of the state or more is uh, is BLM ground so and it's mostly desert a lot of mountain mountains but it's all you know it's still pretty pretty much desert but there's some huge outfits out here in Nevada uh, and running you know a million acres or so But they don't run near near the of cows I think it's they're red somewhere uh, of course it depends on what type of state uh, you're in but uh, it's something like 130 acres per head to run uh, Run a pair out here so it, I mean it takes a lot of, a lot of ground and those so cows gotta be pretty tough They gotta cover that ground and go find find them some food and back home pretty deserty as well but uh, you know it's it takes about 40 acres prepare to run and uh, and it's a lot more privately owned so (coughs) you don't have the huge outfits like that but you have you have more catalysts uh, it seems like there's a lot of oh a lot of outfits run a couple hundred head or, or more, and uh, and but they're only on you know a couple thousand acres, you know, ten thousand acres maybe, rather than a hundred thousand or a million. And so I grew up there, and then I I went to I graduated high school. I went to college up at. Colorado State up in Fort Collins and got my degree in animal science and uh, ag business and uh, got a doctorate in just overall jackassery. There's a there's a lot of shenanigans that went down uh, between me and my college buddies and uh, some of it that I'll never remember and others that I'll never tell and but a lot of in between that just needs every, the world needs to hear uh that'll be I'll get into some of those as I think of them but I had a had a great overall experience college wise I don't know how useful my degree is uh I it it set me ahead a couple years in my career. A couple steps that I didn't have to to take otherwise. And, uh... But... It's been a lot of money at, at Colorado State University. So, I don't know how much I would've... How much I saved, or... How much I... I really gained by it, but the the social social aspect was was pretty key. I I met some really good some of my best friends there, and uh, got a lot better view on the world. You know, you meet people from all over, and uh, and a lot of different viewpoints and. Uh, and I think that's good. I think everybody ought to get out of their home environment for for a couple of years and experience the rest of the world It'll make you a more well-rounded person. And uh, so I, I gained a, a group of really good buddies there at CSU, and some of them were... We're from the, the agriculture side of things, but I you know I got a lot of a lot of buddies that way but my I guess my really good close friends they were they were all city guys, and uh it just kind of the through the random assigning of rooms in the dorms is kind of how i I wound up with those fellas and uh I two two of them were my neighbors from Denver and then my roommate was, uh, from Chicago or a suburb of Chicago and about, a you know, about as diverse of a upbringing as you get from me. And, uh, so that, that was, that was pretty neat. So I graduated there and then I, uh, I moved home for a couple months, and, uh, and then I went and worked on a, a big ranch up in north central Montana, up on the Highline country, Bear Paw Mountains, and, uh, that was a good experience in the, the sense that I knew that I did not want to live in Montana. I thought I could. I had seen cold and uh, miserable weather, which I had. You know, the high plains, there are no no picnic during the winter. But Montana's a different beast. Holy shit, it's cold. And uh, the uh, place I worked on ran about 3,000 mama cows in total. And how. Right around 100 and 150 thousand acres, I want to say, some somewhere around there, between leased ground, privately owned, and uh, and BLM pasture, and uh, the location I worked at three, four different locations there, around Big Sandy, Montana, and uh, the location I was at, we calved out about. I think it was about 650 ahead of Mama Cows. And they were they were all four year olds and older. Uh and uh the work itself was not bad. I uh you know it was they did a few things different than the outfits I'd been on back home and uh it was more kind of a it was a corporate owned ranch and uh, so they had a uh, board of directors and all that nonsense. That was kind of my first uh, glimpse at that that sort of sort of deal the the corporate-owned big money ranches, as opposed to just you know family-owned, which I, I guess this place was still. Uh, I guess the, I mean the. It was still a family owned deal to an extent, but it seemed, I don't know, there was some sort of corporate backing behind it, I believe, and, uh, I know they had a board of directors and, so, anyway, overall it was a, it was a good experience, I, I didn't make much money and, uh, I was a punk ass kid coming out of college that knew everything and got humbled pretty quick and I was not, not much of a hand at all, I would say, uh, and I realized, realized that to some extent, I thought, I still thought I was better than I was after that whole deal, but I, uh, I had been brought down several pegs, and I only made it a short while there, I, did, I finished out cabin season, and, uh, and I headed back home, and, I. I kind of hung around uh, southeast Colorado for a little bit. I uh, rode colts for an old family friend of ours, an uh, old Bronx Stomper from way back, and uh, I went to work for, for this old fella named Doc Jones, and uh, I rode, rode colts for, with him for a couple weeks, a month, maybe, something like that. and I. Uh, and I ended up taking a job over in Ulysses, Kansas for Grant County Feeders. I was a manager trainee in the shipping and receiving and processing department. And Grant County Feeders is a huge feed yard. Uh, it by JBS at the time. And 100, uh, and I think we hit the record capacity up to that point. That first summer I was there and it was hundred and twenty-six thousand three hundred something Which just a shitload of cattle. I uh and I, I really enjoyed the first first couple couple months, the year there. I met some some good people there that worked there. We all there was a string of us manager trainees that, that all started right around the same time and uh, got thrown into the blender. That is feedlot life uh, real quick. And some of us kind of flourished, some of them fizzled out, and some of us eh, just kind of kept plugging along. I think I'd put uh, myself somewhere on the line between flourish and plugging along. but. So I, I I worked there. I uh I learned a lot about uh about how to read cattle from from different people and just figuring it out on my own, but it's uh on like, the yard that big everything's you try to be as, as efficient as possible. And so it's uh a lot a lot more fast paced than a, you know, a ranch would be or even a smaller feedlot like I'm at now where uh, it's not as much of a ram and jam get shit done as it is there at at those bigger outfits it's just a lot of cattle to move and get through fed something like three million pounds of feed a day it was it was insane I didn't know much about the feed side while I was there uh, I knew a little bit, picked up some a few things here and there, but overall, I was pretty, pretty ignorant to the the feeding side. I'd known knew how to formulate a ration and whatnot, figure out your protein and TDN and all all the the good stuff that a cow needs to to grow and finish out. But I uh, I I knew nothing of the of the day to day operation of it and uh but that's kinda how those how a feedlot works. You have your you have your set crews and uh they specialize in whatever that may be, maintenance, feeding, riding pins, doctoring. And uh the bigger the yard is the more compartmentalized it gets. And uh so there it grant county i mean even within the cattle uh side of things you know physically dealing with the with the animal itself you know you had the the animal health uh manager who was basically in charge of the doctor crew there was 19 hospitals at that that yard i believe and uh so five or six uh, doctors, one guy that just strictly ran a tractor to pick up deads and do a necropsy on them. A the necropsy for those that you don't know is be the animal version of an autopsy. You cut them open and find out why they died. And uh, so it's pretty pretty vital. Uh, I think it's uh, pretty vital at any Pen rider, uh, be able to necropsy and identify, you know, the cause of death for an animal. It makes you makes you better, better at your job. Especially if it was, uh, if it was an animal, well, animal that came from pens that you rode. You know, so you you know what that way you can see what you're missing or, you know, it just it's good to, good to know that that type of deal it's uh it's gross especially on in the summer you know it stinks and uh usually you're dealing with uh outside of your your normal rumen fluid and bodily smells that they get but then real bad pneumonia which is your you know your number one cause of death and, and the feedlot is, is pneumonia or just general respiratory disease on those bad pneumonias you get real nasty uh, abscesses on the lungs and so you get that the smell of pus with that too and it's overall it's just uh it's pretty pretty gross but it's uh it's an important important thing to do and uh but i guess getting back to the Grant County deal. Was, there was one guy that—that's—that's that's what he did was pick up deads and do necropsies. And uh, I had that job for oh a week or so when when he was on vacation. Or, and I—I uh, think I I did twenty-three necropsies in one morning. And uh, and a lot of them were and we cut open everything unless it was just two decomposed to, to determine anything but uh, there was a lot of a lot of bloat bloated cattle uh, we had a half of the yard was on a branded beef program uh, so it was kind of similar to the certified Angus beef where you had to have a certain amount of hide color be black and then you know quality grade on the meat from there I had to meet a certain criteria, and, and then part of it was there was no, no feed additives, so it was a, uh, a natural program, so they, they didn't add rumen, rumensin or thailand to their, to their feed, and, uh, which is, helps, uh, helps stabilize the rumen, and, uh, you know accommodate it for a hot uh, high-energy feed like you you would feed them in a in a finish yard and uh, so because of that there was a lot of a lot of bloated cattle uh, on that half of the yard and uh, those those bloat deads decompose pretty quick in the in the summertime and it gets pretty rank so the good thing on those is you could uh the the dead truck came every day and if you knew it was a bloat and you you didn't really want to feel like losing your lunch whatever there's some some days or some in particular animals that just you're just like uh i ain't doing it fuck that and uh so you'd cut open uh their uh between their back legs, and you can see a little uh, where the two uh, two different muscle groups uh, meet at that that little seam there. The the skin gets like uh, kind of like bubble wrap ish in between from the oh it would be the methane in the in the bloodstream I believe. Don't don't quote me on that. I'm not a scientist uh, I call myself a doctor regularly, but I'm not a scientist, and, uh, but anyway, there's, uh, there's a gap kind of in between those two muscles that, uh, from where the gas has expanded, it so it looks kind of like, uh, bubble wrap, and we call that the bloat line, and uh, so that's a really easy way to tell if they were a true bloat, and, uh, outfit I work on now, we have uh, a little pH reader, check the acidity of the rumen, and uh, so we, uh, when you do those necropsies, if they look all bloated up, you can just poke a hole in the room and stick that thing down in there and get a reader, a reading on it, and uh, if it's below a 5.4, it's considered uh toxic bloat level or toxic acidity and uh so it's an easy way to get away from the smell and yeah during the summer months winter's not too bad there they can be a little harder to cut open when they freeze overnight but it's uh overall it's a little more pleasant experience during the during the winter and uh, and then if they're you know pretty pretty fresh dead you know on a cold day you can kind of open and, and work without being all bundled up in gloves to get some residual body heat from there and uh, I guess all you folks that uh, are not keen to the to the, how your, how your beef gets to the, the table, or probably just thinking, what in the hell, Uh, and you're either morbidly interested, or completely grossed out by now, but, yeah, I'll take either one, and, uh, so, I, overall, I, I enjoyed the people I worked with there at, at Grant County, I didn't, I did not enjoy the, the company so much, but I learned a lot, and uh, and I I'm glad I glad I worked there. It was it was pretty neat working for one of the biggest feedlots in the world, and uh, I uh, yeah it was it was neat. I was kind of I got to see pretty. Pretty up close, some of the you know the higher level people within that company work. JBS at the time had uh, ten or eleven different feed yards scattered scattered throughout the mostly the you know kind of the corn and beef belt, but they had a, they had a feed lot up in Idaho and uh, one down in New Mexico and. And right before I left there they'd just uh they'd just bought a great big feed lot over by phoenix i believe and uh so they, i mean they were they were everywhere of course they had all the the pack they still have all the packing houses and truck line and you know the the trucking fleet and all that there mean you know, they they were they were pretty big. Big players, but, you know, number one, the biggest as far as cattle on feed and in, in, in the U.S. And I believe probably the world, uh, but definitely the, the number one volume-wise in the U.S. And uh, from there, I, I moved over to uh, Syracuse, Kansas, which was about an hour away, and. Uh, in, worked for, uh, a smaller feed yard there, it was about, I think it was permitted for 40,000 head, uh, they were, we ran about 35 to 37, uh, it was kind of our ideal, you know, full capacity, and, and it was, uh, and I started, uh, as a feed foreman there, I was, uh, which would be basically this cactus feeders version of a manager trainee but it was uh, i was feed foreman and so i i uh, was in charge of calling feed uh putting uh putting up feed schedules for the the truck drivers and uh i guess for those of you who don't aren't aware of the the lingo calling feed is, uh, what you would do is you would drive the whole yard, look in, look in the feed bunk first thing in the morning, and, uh, and you would decide, you would make a, a determination of, uh, how much feed is left in the bunk, if any at all, and, uh, and then from there you would, uh, you would determine how much feed they would get for the day and uh, so you would call that amount of feeds that's what you're going to call feeds and uh, it's a pretty crucial part of the the feedlot process here you know your your main goal is to take a take an animal off of grass or you know backgrounding yard wherever they come from but you bring them in anywhere from, you know, 300 pounds to, you know, pushing a 1,000 pounds sometimes. Uh, and you're wanting to get them to hit the feed bunk and eat, and then transition the microbes in their gut to adjust to a high energy feed. And then you want to maximize their intake so that they grow as fast as possible to slaughter weight and at the same time uh, get as much uh, meat quality out of it as you can, so marbling wise. And and that always fluctuates with the market. You know, the choice select spread, choice being a higher quality cut of meat because it has uh, more uh, intramuscular. Fat, which uh, is where your flavor comes from. So when uh, and then select being a lower quality quality grade, and uh, when that when the spread price spread between those two is real narrow, it doesn't make as much sense to to feed. Your your cattle longer to get them to marble, so you uh, because it, it costs more money to you
1: know obviously to feed them longer. So your your
0: uh, margins are pretty narrow, and so if that that spread narrows too much, then it doesn't. It's no longer cost effective to to feed them for the higher quality grade. So you pump them out a little quicker. And, uh, so that, that kind of plays a determination, but then there's, uh, like I said, there's branded beef programs like at Grant County, where you get a premium per head, uh, if they meet the, those certain qualifications, and so then, therefore, it makes more no sense to, to feed them longer and feed them, you know, you're going to take on more death loss, feeding them on that natural ration, because of the bloat factor, but it's all a all a numbers game and uh, but uh, the call and feed is a very important part of it it's kind of probably the most boring part of feedlot life in my opinion Uh, but it's it's pretty important as a good feed caller can get your cattle on onto your top ration pretty quick and he can get them to he can mm. he or she can uh and get them to to their maximum intake pretty quick and hold them there. And uh I got to where I was pretty good at it. I had I had good closeout numbers and uh I always had really good intake on um, I called half of the yard. Uh, on, uh, during the normal work week, I would call half the yard, and, uh, my boss would call the other half, and then, if it was my weekend to work, I would call the whole yard, and, uh, she probably hated when, when I did, because I would, uh, I would totally mess with her, her feed calls. I would, I would just, I called them how I called them, and, uh, which was a little more aggressive than than she was and uh well I drove her nuts I'm sure but yeah, she'll get over it. Or she won't. Either way I don't give a shit. But um I called feed there for about a year and a half and uh bored out of my mind. I, I really I really did not enjoy calling feed. You had to get get up way too damn early for that. And you had to be in I got there, I think, quarter to five in the morning. Um, I'm not a morning person in the sense that I, like, I I just get up and go. I've got, I've got to wind up a little bit. It takes a couple cups of coffee for me to get going. I'm not grumpy in the morning. I just take a little longer to to get everything moving. And uh, so that that was not. Was not an ideal situation for me, the calling feed getting there at the ass crack of dawn. Well, no, it was dark. It wasn't even crack of dawn. It was dark. And the good thing was, I was usually done by like 233 but But uh, yeah, I just, I did not enjoy calling feed, but it paid paid well enough. I was still a single, man, and. I had, had some, I didn't have near as much fun there in Syracuse as I was over in Ulysses, but that's, I guess, part of growing up, too, but, uh, and then one day we had, uh, I had some people from corporate show up, and they announced that we would be shutting down feeding operations at Syracuse Feed and, uh, it was the the way the market was and the state of disrepair that the the feed yard itself was in. It was no longer financially viable to finish cattle there. So they were would be laying off over thirty employees and uh Transitioning to a confined cow calf operation, and I was one of the lucky or unlucky, however you to, you choose to look at that. I'm still kind of undecided on on that myself. Uh, I was one of the four lucky people that that got to keep their job, and it's uh, kind of a kind of a big deal and a little small town like that. And uh so from there we uh we went about the process of finishing out the cattle that we had on hand and uh we shipped a few to one of our other feed yards uh, that were still pretty new to the yard. Pretty short day on feed cattle, and it was gonna take longer than we wanted to uh, continue feeding those. So we uh, those ones that still had a ways left, we we shipped to another yard, and then we fed out everything else that we. We had, and uh, in the meantime, we got about—I believe it's about 600 head of uh, mama cows, all bred. Or no, they just calved. We uh, we were getting ready to to start breeding these cows, and uh, so it, there for a couple a couple weeks, maybe a month, we had some big fat feeder cattle and then as well as some mama cows and this was just some sale barn shit it was 2012 so it was right at the height of the the big drought across the great plains I and mean, that was that was pretty tough times but uh it was god it was dry just miserable dry something i it was something like a a year, maybe even two years, consecutive without any uh, measurable precipitation, and it was it was dry. So, due to that, there was a lot of a lot of folks selling off their herd because they had no grass to feed them. And uh, so, the the big wigs bought these uh, these cows out of. Sale barn, they're just coal cows, for the most part. They they're just they're just coal cows. There wasn't very many good cattle cows among them, uh, but they all came out of I mean, west Texas and eastern New Mexico and uh, Oklahoma. Just it's kind of some sale barn shit. There was Angus cross. There was some. There was a lot of eared cattle. All uh, uh, kind of. Kind of some Brangus, Brayford type cattle, and uh, just a little bit of everything, and and they had no kind of records on them at all, had no idea what, (coughs) what kind of temperament, anything, and uh, so, you know, forward the next spring when we start calving these out, uh, you know, we had a ton of, ton of bad bags. Uh, just straight-up evil bitches. And, uh, or just terrible mothers. And, uh, you know, for, I'd say, a good 70% of those, that initial run of cattle, they were just... They were at a sale, sale barn for a reason. Whoever had them before wanted no part of them. They were just trash, so that's what we got stuck with for, uh, for the first cabin season, and, uh, man, I, I worked my ass off that for about three years during that cow-calf deal, and poof, I don't miss that. It was, it was fun at the time, I was enjoying it, but man, it was, it was a lot of work, and, uh, I think, I think uh, overall, they kind of figured out that it's not very, very effective to uh, try and raise a, a, cow herd in confinement like that. It just, they uh, have no problem keeping the cows uh, alive. Uh, it's just you know, those babies. They gotta, they gotta be out in the open, and uh, it was, it was a lot of work. It's kind of a shit show, but I. Uh, so from there, I, I moved. Well, I bounced around Southwest Kansas. There, did some day work for a while, and I went to work for a research farm for Can- for Kansas State, and, uh, and uh, I, I thoroughly did not enjoy that job. And then from there, I moved out to, uh, to Nevada, and that's where I'm at now. I started working for a, uh, I took a job managing a uh, Mustang, lot. Uh, the the government declares they own these uh, feral horses is what they are they're just they're feral horses but they're, they're ancestors from the old Spaniard horses that came over during the conquistador era but now they just uh, the the bleeding heart animal rights people have uh, taken them to be a symbol of the American West, and they have to be protected. And then they and they all run on uh, on government property, BLM ground, and uh, they uh, the herds get too big to... And they overpopulate an area, and they they decimate the ecosystem. You know, they they graze it down to nothing. They they drain the, the water holes, and then you know, for a state, for these big western states, you know, a lot of their a lot of their economy is based on tourism and hunting and you know outdoor life. And uh, so when you're your natural water hole dries up because of a herd of horses and it drives all the deer and the elk and antelope out. And uh, so it kind of creates a little bit of a crisis and, uh, but it doesn't get a whole lot of attention because the, the animal rights movement has kind of kind of brainwashed a lot of the public into and they've just kinda, they've humanized animals to an extent, and uh, and it's more of, they're more of a myth than reality, and uh, they're really, they're just an ugly horse for the most part, (laughs) yeah, that means you, Molly, you are, for a Mustang, I guess you're good looking, but there's not very, very pleasing to the eye, in my opinion. And uh anyway when they the BLM decides to uh to thin out some of the herd, they of course they can't slaughter them. They you can't it is illegal to slaughter horses in the US now, so it's uh you can't do that, so they they round them up and then they send them to these holding facilities where you can uh you can adopt them, and uh, but there's only a, they only allow a certain age. I think I, they don't, they won't let you adopt them if they're over like six years old. Maybe I'm not for sure on that. But so the ones that you can't adopt and they've already got them rounded up, you just kind of feed them there till till they die. There's your taxpayer dollars that hard at work. Uh, welcome to the, the joys of the federal government. <coughs> so, I went to work at that place where I only lasted about a month. There. It wasn't what I thought it was going to be. And I wasn't what the owner thought I was going to be. And uh, we parted mutually on okay terms. and. I came over to where I'm at now, and a little work for a little background and yard, and uh, I enjoy it. There's uh, not a whole lot of feedlot type cowboys out here in Nevada. They're more uh, buckery type, and they're all, you know, ranch cowboys for the most part. And uh, just there's not many feedlots out. here on the left coast and uh so I guess in that sense I was kind of you know pretty good find for them I've been around well I'm coming up on 10 years in the, the feedlot I guess this is 10 years in the feedlot business and uh so I've been around quite a bit and knew a little bit about what i what I was talking and talked a whole lot more about what i didn't but um anyway so it was a, it's been a good good situation for for me and my family and and I think for the for this outfit here too so I get along i'll get a pretty close working relationship with my manager and then it's a, it's a smaller outfit, pretty laid back, and especially this time, uh, this summer is going to be pretty slow. There's, uh, not a whole lot of cattle coming in, so it's, uh, it's a good summer to work on my horses and horsemanship, and, uh, I've got some, some kind of day work stuff lined up for later this summer, uh, doctoring some outside cattle in uh, the next valley over, and, uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. I get to wear out a few ropes and uh, tune on a few horses, and maybe get some more outside horses rode as well. I mean, that's kind of a, a staple of the the cowboy uh, community is riding outside horses. There's, uh, there's a lot of people that want horses and love to ride, and but there's not near as many that that know how or want to uh, start and break a, a horse and then and then teach them how to how to do their job so it's kind of a staple among cowboys is to uh, take in outside horses for somebody and either start them from the very beginning and and go from there or tune them up after being set off for the winter or, uh, you know, any of the, any number of things like that, but, so I, I do that on as much as I can and, uh, works out pretty, pretty handy when you work at a feed lot or if, uh, if a ranch that allows you to use outside horses because then you don't have to pay feed for the most part and, uh, and you gotta ride a horse anyways, so. In the meantime, just you can uh, you can kill two birds with one stone, make a little extra money, and while you're doing your your day job. So that's kind of the plan for the summer. Be pretty pretty laid back, I think. And uh, the, there's always work to be done at the house. And sure my, my... These two or... yeah those are pulls and uh i'm sure have. Well, put them down there or... uh, um you got cattle coming through here uh not yet but we're gonna start setting up for it uh yeah you can go ahead and uh kick them in the wet pen, we'll pen. yeah and uh, uh, anything else i'll just kick off to the side yeah no, that's. That'll work. Thank you. That was a fellow I worked with. They, uh. We've got some, uh. Right now, all we have is, is dairy heifers that we background for, uh several big dairies out of California and then one here more locally in Nevada. And uh, what we do is we we bring these heifers in about 300, right around 300 pounds I guess. Uh, It varies depending on the owner. Uh, There's one owner that they send them in uh, quite a bit older. And so there may be Five, six hundred pounds when they come in. and so what we do is we we bring them in small like that. We feed them to a set. I think we're feeding them to just under two pound uh, average daily gain. And uh, so we we feed them till they uh, they they reach a certain criteria to be bred uh they're all all heifers obviously and uh so we we feed them till and I think their protocol is just right right at a year old and uh a certain height at the withers and then we have uh, two uh two lines of pens on one side of the yard that have uh, stanchions uh, and uh rather than a feed bunk there's a feed apron and stanchions and they they with a locking head catch and uh so they will uh they will go down there and they'll be put on a, a breeding program where they synchronize them and then one of the really cool uh things about the buckaroo vaquero style roping is uh they use a a big loop uh, you know a lot of times like when you're sitting on your horse you build your loop and it's going to be almost dragging the ground and uh but they they use those great big loops and then they'll uh <clears throat> they'll sit out they'll push uh, cattle to the corner of a pasture or something and uh and hold them there and they call that a, a rodeo, deer and uh and you can sit out on the edge of there while those cattle kind of mill around and are, are quiet, and a guy on the edge can build a great big loop and uh, just float it in there, and uh, they'll use these really kind of, it's really pretty watching it. A good one that work, but uh, I think it's called the del viento loop, and I could be wrong on that. Uh, I'm not for sure, but anyway, the the loop turns over and you almost throw it past the animal and as that loop turns over the tip will will whip back around and it'll kind of just float right on over the top of that calf's head or his hip or wherever you're you're uh aiming at and uh it's pretty neat to watch it in in action So anyway, as I was saying, it's it's pretty cool to see those those loops work. Uh, I saw quite a bit of it in the Brandon pen this spring, and uh, it's pretty cool. There was uh, there's a couple of boys that that I branded with this, this spring that can really sling a rope. This guy, uh, Jesus, uh, he's a uh, Basco. Uh, anybody is unfamiliar with that is uh the, spain and france there's a area called the basque region and uh there's a lot of folks from that area that moved out to nevada uh, as sheep herders for the most part and uh so there's pretty pretty strong Basque community in western nevada they make some excellent food by the way if uh if you like garlic you gotta try uh basque food they uh, they use uh garlic like most people use salt or you know any anything that you use just frequently you know and large amounts that's Whatever, so salt or pepper—that's what most people would would use. And uh, the Bascos just use garlic. And it's pretty awesome. But anyway, Jesus—he's a—he's a Basco fella, and son of a bitch, that guy can rope. He's—he's he's fun to watch. Uh, and he's—he's he's an older older fella. He's probably in his—I I, want to say fifties. So anybody that's that age and was offended that I called I called him older. Well, whatever. Get over it. He, uh, you know what I mean. He's he's older than me. And uh, yeah, he he was he was cool to watch. And uh, and then of course back home it's just a standard. I mean you just rope. There's 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 a head loop and a heel loop. That's pretty well what we throw. I mean, there's, There's more to it than that, but for the most part, that's kind of how I grew up is you just, you roped. There wasn't any, anything really fancy about it, but it's fun either way. Uh, I, I enjoy it. One of these days I might be halfway decent at it. Probably not, but I'll keep working. The other part of the crew is, uh. Sorting some big pregnant dairy heifers today, so they are they are moving cattle through the alley where I'm riding right now, and uh, so we kind of gotta we gotta be careful to when we pull cattle keep them out of the way because they're just uh, they've got gates set going from one pin to another, and uh, so. I was visiting with Cody earlier they so trying to stay out of their way and he's trying to get cattle moved so he can get out of our way uh, but like I said it's pretty slow this summer so we're just about done riding as it is and uh, and there's not very many pools so it's probably gonna be a short day today Uh, at least at at the job uh, take off early if it doesn't get too too god-awful hot I'll uh I got some fence to build at my house and general upkeep so i probably do some of that today it's kind of funny the how things are today, you know, with all of our modern technology, uh, I mean, I'm riding around looking like an idiot, like I'm talking to myself, and then recording a podcast, kind of, kind of crazy, like the combination of old versus new. things you notice uh in a feedlot especially uh when weather starts warming up metal expands and now uh, your gates don't really fit quite like they used to they don't uh especially on like your spring latches they uh the pin is too long nowadays and uh so they're a little harder to open and and some of the gates we've got they can be some finger crushing bastards if you're not careful So I may just go around with a wrench today and adjust adjust some gate latches anyway it's it's kind of funny how uh, yeah I think that's just kind of amazing here I am doing a, a job that, you know, or, origins of it are hundreds of years old. And, uh, you know, taking care of cattle, uh, aside from the medicine and uh, like feed advancements, uh, taking care of cattle has not changed a whole lot over the years, whereas the way we communicate. Definitely has. I guess one of the drawbacks here for for this particular format is uh, the audio quality may not be the greatest and I don't know if it'll ever get to be the greatest I'm gonna work on getting a different uh, microphone right now I'm just using my my earbuds and uh, the mic from there then you should, would uh take a phone call is doing the recording and really pretty decent quality I gotta say you know there's but the reason I decided to do do it like I'm doing is I could not imagine when I would find the time to uh sit down and record a podcast and uh and this way I can do it while I'm working. you get kind of the, the feel of what's going on in the background. You might not be able to to hear me sometimes and I'll work on that but uh, plus I don't have to really do much prep for this show. I just kind of talk about whatever comes to my mind, which yeah hold on to your hold on to your shorts for that one sometimes. I uh I don't know about y'all, but I uh I won't call myself a conspiracy theorist, but I keep a tinfoil hat in my back pocket at all times. I'm ready to put that, I'm ready to slap that bitch on. Uh so I listen to a lot of a lot of that kind of conspiracy type stuff. I don't buy into some of it. Um, and then there's some that I don't even know how it's disputed that it's a you know, conspiracy. I mean, it's just fact. But. So, there could be some of those those moments where you get off on a tangent, but I think that, I think that's what's going to make, make this little venture pretty neat. Well, shit, I got cattle coming my way and pulling. Let's go, Molly. Hey, hey! Ah, oh, crush averted. I got impatient. You ever have those days where no matter what you do, your cattle just don't cooperate and they just they pretty well just tell you to piss off and uh, They uh, They just don't do anything you want to and it makes everything harder. I don't know and there's full moon or who knows what it is Weather's changing there's any any number of things and there's days like that where it just Today's not one of those days. Yesterday was kinda one of those days. It just had this this little heifer that was she was just sicker in hell. Uh she temped Oh, I believe she was like a one oh six point seven, you know, which your typical your average temperature their normal temperature for the bovine is 101 to 102 and a half, somewhere around there, like 101.5 to 102.5 is kind of your your normal range. And we we doctor everything that's over 104. And uh, and this this heifer was like 106.7, and like she wasn't even a runner, like didn't even really want to run. She just didn't I mean she had I don't know if she ever even broke into a lope it was always at a trot but she would just undercut you turn back head fake and and I was on a colt and uh, that doesn't really know what she's doing yet anyways but even Clara my good mare would have had a, a pretty tough time with her just strictly cutting on her of course I typically I give them about three chances to the gate, and then I shake out a loop and and drag them out. Depending on how big they are and how uh, how much of a badass I think I am at the time. So if they're about 300 pounds, I, I I'm a real badass. I'll I'll rope that sucker. But once once they get up over, you know, six. Well, 800 pounds. Eh, it's just more work, especially if you don't got anybody healing behind you. You gotta lay them down. Eh, it's not that it can't be done, it's just, yeah, I'll try a little harder without a rope to get them out of the pen. I've uh, I've worked with guys, they will, uh, they ain't afraid to rope nothing. And, uh, and some of those guys are dang sure hands, and they can they can do it. And then there's other guys that they ain't afraid to rope anything. But they don't know what the fuck they're going to do with it once they get him roped. And, uh, those guys are usually ones that, that cause your big wrecks. The, the good thing about dallying, instead of tying on hard, is, uh you uh you burn enough rope through your hand missing your dally uh you find out pretty quick that your horn doesn't move and you don't need to look down at it and uh and you also you also learn pretty quick how to let rope slide through your hand uh as you're as you're going to the horn so it's uh It's one of those, uh, you gotta, it gets worse before it gets better. And, uh, I've, I've had some pretty nasty rope burns on my hand. At that point, they weren't even burns anymore. It was just a flesh wound. Uh, but that's all part of becoming a hand, I guess. That's, uh, that's one thing I've found that's uh pretty universally used term around both, both camps of, uh, of cowboy life is, uh, you say that, that guy's a hand, you know, he's, uh, he's pretty good at what he does. And, uh, and that, that goes for the, even like the rodeo community, you know, rodeo cowboys, which, uh, depending on, that's all specific to you individual but uh they they may be cowboys and or they may not but they're you know they're guys that there could be a team roper that ain't he ain't much of a cowboy but he's damn sure a hand with a rope and uh he may not know what to know a sick sick cow from you know a healthy zebra but uh he could damn sure rope them and so You'd say, boy, he's a hand with a rope. uh, That's pretty... Seems to be pretty universal throughout... uh, You know, throughout all the cowboy... worlds. Okay. I am listening to the Ron Paul Liberty Report right now. So, he was talking about war crimes today. And that's kind of a heavier topic than I'd really care to get into, but, uh, I know for most of the people that I know have listened all already, and, you know, the, the groups that I've shared it with, and, uh, you know, the, I guess, kind of my target audience is going to be a pretty conservative, patriotic type of crowd, and I, uh, I used to consider myself a conservative. I uh I really don't know what that means anymore, but um I still uh I still like I, I feel like I'm a very patriotic person and uh, and I I do su- I support our troops. I don't really support the military. I support the troops and uh that's kind of where Ron Paul's going here is uh he's he is very anti-war. And especially anti-aggressive war, meaning that uh, we invade other countries. And I, I, I tend to agree with him. And and I don't think that makes you, you know, anti-American. I don't think that makes you uh, anti-military or anti- troops. You know, that I think uh, it's kind of funny. Is I, I share a lot of memes and stuff, uh, they're mostly kind of libertarian. Uh, more right wing type stuff and or just and just stuff I think is funny and uh and I get I get a lot of likes and a lot of, you know, laughing faces and stuff for my libertarian memes. And I shared on Memorial Day, it might have been the day after Memorial Day, I shared uh uh the Ron Paul report, uh episode that he had and as, you know, titles that Support Our Troops, bring them all home. And I had one solitary like on that it was it was kind of kind of strange and i uh i know it's kind of a quandary for some some people i think they uh they can consider themselves very pro-america very very patriotic and uh but i, I just i think you can be very patriotic and uh, still be against stupid wars at the same time and uh for, uh, for a lot of the good stuff that Trump has done, I think a lot of, it, it could be, it won't even matter if he uh, if he lets these, you know, war hawks that he's got in his administration talk us into, a, get us into a war with Iran or Venezuela, or those are kind of the two big ones right now, or even further involved in Syria and uh those countries pose no harm to they are no danger to us as a as a nation uh, they 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 pose a danger to us as an empire and a lot of people don't consider us an empire but we are i mean it's the united states empire and uh so that i i just, i really hope he uh trump has... Rhetoric has been very good at keeping us out of stupid wars. That's uh, and I, that's part of the the part I like about Trump is he is it, very blunt about that. It's just, it's are stupid wars. Our leaders are stupid and uh and I think he's got a very good point on that, but his actions have been shown otherwise and uh so I I really hope he goes with his gut on on keeping us out of wars and and not letting these Neocons and warhawks talk us into uh, another just disaster over there in the Middle East. We need to get our boys out of there, our girls too, women. Women people get offended. You know what I mean. But I'm not trying to be disrespectful. But anyhow, I I think everybody should go listen to Ron Paul in the morning. It's only about 20 to 30 minutes show that he does but it's very informative and I think you'll get a lot out of it you may not agree with him but make you think about things a little different so I got these new jeans the other day I uh kind of a stickler on jeans or it's not so much a stickler as there's uh there's just some that I I wear wranglers quite a bit and they just they're good tough jeans just the old cowboy cut wranglers they just don't fit very well for me. Like I've got, I've got pretty big legs and no ass, and uh, so I've got to. I usually have to buy a little bigger in the waist so they fit my my thighs better. But then they they're baggy and uh, in the waist, and then I have no ass to keep them up. So that's that's kind of the drawback with Wranglers. Uh, and uh Levi's 501 I thought was probably for me was the perfect pair of jeans. They they fit right. Loved the the button fly and uh comfortable as hell. And Levi's the CEO uh came out the other day that they are donating a ton of money to uh bunch of gun control advocacy groups and uh, yeah I just I'm not one to call for a boy, boycott and I'm not calling for a boycott but I, I won't buy any more Levi's just cause I, I don't I'm not gonna have my money go to to something like that uh, I've had endless debates on with buddies and people I don't know just you know random people about gun control and I've argued at no end and at this point I just I'm not it's a non it's a non-subject for me I don't I believe that all gun laws are an infringement on the second amendment background checks all of it it's all an infringement and uh I just, I, I'm not going to have any of my money going to to a group that wants to uh, is actively trying to do do damage to the to that to the second unit. So anyway, I uh, there is a company out of uh, Battle Mountain, Nevada that I follow. There, uh, from what I can tell, they the lady started as a bootmaker, custom boot maker, which, custom boots change your life. They, uh, pretty awesome. Uh, but, and I, I can't speak to the quality of, of hers. I have no idea, but, uh, anyway, she, uh, I followed, followed her, because I was looking at getting a, a pair of custom boots made, and I, I eventually went elsewhere, but, uh, just, just uh, a company I was more familiar with. But anyway, I followed her on Facebook just to see. I like to look at, you know, that handmade kind of crafts. You know, the craftsmanship side of things I, I'm kind of interested in, and uh, I try to buy, you know, all my tack from, you know, guys that that do custom work rather than, you know, your big you know, buying your Weaver and Rainsman and all that, that stuff, you know, I try to, I try to go with, uh, with the smaller guy that makes custom stuff more, more than anything, because you can get it made how you want. A lot of times it's cheaper, and then eh, it's just good, you know, help out a, help out a guy trying to make a living, or a gal. Um, but anyway, this this gal, uh, she posted something here back. I think it was right around Thanksgiving. They were starting their their own line of jeans, and uh, so I was interested. And my wife was gonna get me some for Christmas. And uh, the when they launched the, they sold out of the the sizes that would fit me. Uh, Pretty quickly, it sounded like, and, like, within, you know, a couple hours. And, uh, so, uh, I've been following that, and I was interested, and, uh, I finally bought a pair the other day, and, uh, she had posted that some store out of Texas that she, uh, that was selling her stuff, uh, had a couple pairs in the size that I, I wear, and, uh, and they end up being a little, little big on me. So the next time I buy a pair, I'll have to go down, a, down the size, I think. But, uh, I've been impressed with them. And I, uh, they're a little pricey. I think they were like 80 bucks, which is normally well out of my price range, but, um, they fit good. Uh, they're manufactured in the U.S., I guess. And, uh, they look good, and, uh, I wore them, I wore them for a solid week straight. Just, uh, I wanted to see how tough they were. And that's the biggest, biggest thing with me, is, uh, on, in jeans, is just how, how tough are they, because sometimes you get some, you know, even within, like, there's some pairs of Wranglers that fit better than others, and, uh, so the, the, the comfortability is, you know, it's important, but... More than that, for me is uh, how how well do they hold up, and am I gonna go broke buying these these jeans if they don't you know if they don't hold up, and and they, they have I uh, of course I was wearing my my leggings over them the whole time I wear my my leggings every day when I'm riding, but for for all my college buddies yes those are the chaps. As you call them, the assless chaps. But it's pronounced shaps, and we call them leggings. And they're all assless because if they'd had an ass to them, they would be leather pants at that point. So they're not pants, they're shaps, sh- they're, they're leggings. Chinks, uh, not the Chinese people, but uh, I really actually don't know why they're called chinks. I'll have to do some research on that. Not the, not the Chinese people, but the, the leg gear. They're, they're a little shorter. They're not full length. Uh, they they usually hang just a little bit below the knee, and they've got fringe. You know, with the fringe, they the pair I had, I traded them off. They uh, the fringe would uh, they'd drag right about the top of my boots, but you know they like the, the fringe started just below my knee, and the ones I have now, they're uh, they're kind of a hybrid um they're uh they're full length they're uh, arizona bell pattern but they're full zippers on the leg so they're not they're not stepping they're they're zippers uh but they're and then they've got they've got fringe all the way down as well but uh it's a you know it's just a different style it's kind of another another interesting deal the difference in nevada great basin area versus the great plains is uh people uh back home tend to wear uh wear your full length leggings where out here they they tend to wear chinks or armitas armitas is kind of the same thing as a chink but they uh rather than they're typically more often than not they're step in they're you know they're hanging right below your knee and then uh and then they also have a, a fringe across the belt as well. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of them, but I like pair of chinks. But I'm the I'm not I'm undecided on the Armitas, I guess. But anyway, back to those jeans. I was I was really impressed with them. Um, they're in the the wash right now, so uh, I'll have to. I'm not wearing them at the moment, but. I think I might get me another pair. I'm going to have to... as The, the price there, they're not something you... For a guy like me, or most working cowboys, I imagine, not some something you can go out and buy a couple pair willy-nilly. It's, it is a, it's a little bit of money, but I think it's worth it. Help uh Help a... smaller outfit out. And, uh, and I don't have to my money funding gun control either which that's kind of a big deal for me so uh anyway branded denim is what they were called and uh, maybe uh I might reach out to that lady and and see if maybe she wanted to do a little segment or something pitching her stuff but I gotta I gotta make sure people are going to listen to it before I before I go pitching But anyhow I thought you guys might be interested in that uh, there's one thing I've kind of decided is if uh, I'm always gonna if there's a, I find something new uh, like product whatever you know jeans, ropes, bit maker whoever you know if I like it I'm gonna give you a shout out regardless I don't think I don't want anything back from you if you choose to send something that's a different deal but uh I'll, I'm gonna give some shout outs to the people just just because I like what they do and uh and I, I like that branded denim I like I mentioned 310 ranch life yesterday and I like what they do too and uh, <clears throat> their ropes I suppose you could probably get them know, I know you can get them several different places, but I, I just I enjoy watching their videos, so um, I probably could have got the same rope for a little bit cheaper elsewhere. Maybe I don't know. I didn't really I didn't really shop around for it, uh, but I bought it from them just because uh, they do some cool stuff. And it interests me so. Uh, that's kind of the same thing with this branded denim i and i don't know the gal's name i i should know it i uh i've seen it but i'll uh either way go she's on facebook uh i forget the name of her oh martin and company kelly kelly martin i believe maybe is her name anyway she she runs as martin and company out of Battle mountain and then they have branded denim and uh I highly recommend them on the the jeans side. I don't know how their their boots are, but if they uh, they put half the the time and effort into their their boots that they did their jeans, I'm sure they're they're excellent. But um, yeah, uh, shout out to to Martin and Company and branded denim. Oh shit! I just told a whole story about. Uh, pretty funny story about riding outside horses, and I realized it was not recording, so that is neat. So I'll have to tell you again, <coughs> I guess. <coughs> so, anyway, I was talking about horsey people, which I refer to as people that are really just animal lovers that happen to own a horse, uh and really don't have any business owning a horse. And uh I think it's pretty common a lot of places, but it's really you really see it out here, uh in where I'm at. We're real close to California and California being the the left wing cesspool that it is. There's a there's a ton of like animal rights type people and a lot of those people it seems like own horses and they're uh... <coughs> and then they don't know what to do with them they get hurt and so a lot of times people will be they'll need somebody to ride their horse for them because they just can't get along and they just... they want you to, to tune them up and, uh... and sometimes it's uh it's a uh, I like I've got a client that's an older gal that really knows her stuff on horses. She is, she's older and had too many horse wrecks with, with young young horses and I don't think it's so much her decision as it was her husband and was like, Hey, you gotta quit breaking bones and shit. <laughs> Stop getting on young horses. She finally conceded, so she she responded to one of my posts on Facebook. I was looking to take on some outside horses, and she wanted to know if I would be willing to come over to her place and ride this three-year-old paint filly she's got that uh, she had started last fall and uh, and had had you know pretty pretty good amount of time on her last fall, and then uh, they just kicked her out for the winter, being she was just a two-year-old, which is kind of what i do as well just get a decent start on them and then let them grow and uh so anyway, i went over there and she's and she said well it's not gonna be that hard and uh she's not gonna she's not gonna be a, a bronc and uh, i don't i don't really need your help so much as my neighbors need your help and she said i don't know if they want your help but they need it because they have these horses and they don't know what the hell they're doing So okay they may come over oh that's fine so we I went we saddled up and took her little filly and and Leslie is the gal's name she she grabbed one of her other horses that that's broke and we went out uh on a little trail there just uh just behind her house and uh went up uh went up the hill a little ways and then came back and then sure enough her neighbors come and uh so they they want me to come over to their place and take a look, and okay, and they're just right there next door. So I go go over, and they've got these these two horses. is uh, like a 15 year old mare. She's a cute little linebacker dun, and uh, and then I had a little I had a chestnut mare. is uh, 10 years old, I think. They got them on a rescue deal, and uh, and they'd pretty well just been feeding them. They'd been messing, or tried to mess with them a little bit, but they didn't. And these are the good kind of horsey people. They they probably still don't have any business owning a horse, but they at least know that they don't know anything. And uh, so I guess the first step to fixing the problem is admitting you have one, and they did. So I uh, wouldn't... I looked at him and kind of just messed with him a little bit. I didn't, I caught him. I didn't, I didn't saddle him or anything. I said, yeah, oh, I can do that. And uh I said, bring him over, bring her over to the house. And I was supposed to do one at a time. And uh, so I brought her over and uh, I put her in my round pin and saddled her up, gypped her around a little bit up the end of the lunge line and and got her, got her, blood moving a little bit and uh, I go step on her and you can feel right away she's gonna buck. I mean it just she's one of those ones that's not you're not gonna talk her out of it. And uh, more than anything she was just fat, lazy and spoiled. Used to doing her own thing. And uh, she had bucked with the lady before and asked what did you do when after she bucked you off, what'd you do? Did you get back on us? Well we tied her to the, the knotty pole and uh the knotty pole, so basically, when they bucked you off, when she bucked you off, you let her have a rest. And this one, okay. So she's she used to to throwing a little fit, bucking a little bit, and then getting put away. So, okay, so, step on her, and you can tell she's gonna buck. So I just, uh, well, get a seat, got sat down, and I, now I didn't even have to ask her very hard to buck. She just she did it. I uh, I touched her with my with my spurs. I didn't you know I didn't hook it to her or anything. I just asked her to to you know step on and uh, like I was gonna catch a long trot to go go gather the pasture and uh, and then she promptly blew all the way up. Just really got after it, just you know, big jump, kick, a lot of drop for. She wasn't a particularly big horse, but she had a lot of drop to her, and just farting and squealing, and I and I just thumped her every 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 jump, just hooked her right in the shoulder, and uh, she went about eight or ten great big jumps and then she she reared straight up and uh, was at the point where I thought she may be coming backwards and uh you know well, they, uh, and usually when they get to that point I, I'll i just slide off the back and yank them down on top of themselves uh but luckily it rained a little bit the a couple days before and my round pen was a little slick and uh yeah, like I said, usually I'll, uh... I'll yank them down on top of themselves, and then I might stomp on their head a couple times to... just let them know, hey, we ain't, I ain't tolerating that. We're not doing... Because, you know... A fella can get hurt pretty bad when a horse rears up like that, and they know they can get away with it. So I just... I don't tolerate it. Because, uh... Yeah, I've I've heard of guys getting killed that way, or broken back, broken leg, something, when the horse falls over backwards on them. And, uh, so... Luckily, her back feet gave out, and she came down right on her belly, knocked the wind out of her, and uh, so I stepped off, and I gave her a kick in the belly and uh, stepped back on her, and then we trotted two circles both directions, and I stepped off, and I said, I don't think she'll buck again, and, and she hadn't. She never did after that, but they were standing there with their jaw about to hit the... Floor and, uh, I, uh, made me look like a real cowboy, and, uh, whether that's true or not doesn't matter, I, uh, that's what they thought, and I wasn't gonna talk them out of it, so, it worked out pretty good, uh, but there's a, there's a lot of people you'll see, uh, the horsey people you post on these Facebook groups and, uh, they're looking for a beginner safe horse and, uh, no buck, bite, rare, good for the, stands for the or stands to bathe, trailer's good, you know, all the bells and whistles and then I've got a thousand dollar (laughs) budget. Okay, well, uh, I've got some horses that are, that are exactly that definition, but, you're not going to touch them for less than about $6,500 and uh but uh, maybe I guess a horse is whatever is worth whatever someone's willing to pay it for it but you're going to be pretty hard pressed to find a, a sure enough broke horse like they're asking for good with kids and everything and only spend a thousand bucks it's just not, not reality at that point but that's kind of some of the stuff we deal with on the, out here on the, on the left coast. Well, I am uh, done horseback for the day. I have... Uh, we've rode our pins i have doctored our cattle and put them away. So now I'm going to go unsaddle and find out what else I can tear apart today. So I'm pretty well done for the day not a whole lot of cattle to look after right now so it's uh pretty easy going and uh I'm gonna head to the house and change my clothes I'm gonna get some some other clothes on I'm gonna go weld up some H braces for my pasture at the house got a couple more acres I need to fence in, and, uh, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that for a while, and, uh, yeah, it's been a pretty good day, this, uh, recording deal, I'm still trying to work out the bugs, I had a, I got a 20 minute story I was telling, and, I wasn't recording so that was cool I got that going for me which is neat and uh, so I'm going to have to uh, I think I'm going to get one of those like classroom recorders and uh, just carry that around with me and uh, see, how, see how that works but got one on the way we'll see, see if it's any good try to make it the best experience possible, and, uh, because I don't need the audio cutting out when I'm telling something fucking hilarious, and so with that, I'm gonna call it a day, uh, get this up to you tonight, and, uh, thank you all for listening, we had like 70 views, or plays, or whatever the fuck you want to call it today, so, that uh, that was more than I was expecting. Had like two people from Canada, maybe more. I'm not for sure, but three percent of my listeners are from Canada now. So, uh, welcome aboard, fellas, and uh, we'll do it all again tomorrow. You can uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at mac 85 Those are my personal pages. Uh, you can follow the Burning Daylight page on Instagram. It's at M-A-T-T-M-C-K-I-N-L. Matt McKinley on Facebook. Uh, You can find me on Spotify and anchor as Burning Daylight, the podcast. So, uh, like, share, follow, subscribe, do cartwheels, uh, you know, all that happy horse shit. So... Move your ass. We're burning daylight.
1: Goodbye Colorado. Goodbye Arizona. Goodbye Nevada. Goodbye New Mexico. God bless the West and Texas. Yes, you know I'll miss you so. But it's goodbye Colorado, boys. I'm seen my
0: Thank uh, my boss and a friend of mine, Cayen Madrigal and uh, Madcan Photography, for uh, allowing me to use the photo for my cover art. He uh, the photo is of me. He took it uh, when he was doing a social media takeover for I forget which company, but it turned out to be a really cool photo, and I'd like to thank him and give him a shout out for uh, for letting me use it. Uh, you can go find him at, uh, Mad can Photography on Instagram. He's got a whole bunch of followers, so, uh, go check him out.